0: I'm always curious if there is a more straightforward way to describe the goals of occupational therapy, because let's be honest, terms like occupational performance just really do not resonate with our patients, and that's why I was so intrigued by the concept and term explored in this week's article, which is self-management. In this article, you'll find that much of the self-management research they looked at was actually occupational therapy research. Plus, the outcomes were quite promising. So whether you work with stroke patients or not, this is a conversation that you'll definitely want to follow. Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where we dive deep into research and pull out actionable takeaways that you can implement in your practice today. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL. And before we dive into this week's article on self-management, I wanted to share some exciting updates about our podcast. If you are a follower of the OT Potential podcast, you know that we have been on summer break and that this summer has of course been different than any summer that we have experienced. Wherever you live in the world and are listening to those podcasts, your life has been changed by COVID-19. And at OT Potential, we have been acutely aware that for many occupational therapy practitioners, this means that money is tight and that your time is tight. And as a licensed and registered occupational therapist right here in the United States, I, like many of you, was trying to navigate this weird, stressful summer while also trying to cram in my continuing education units for my license. And this just really drove home for me that if you listen to our past 54 episodes of the podcast, you really deserve to be getting credit for growing your career and that here at OT Potential, we needed to push ourselves to create content that would also qualify for continuing education units. So over the summer, I did a lot of reading on learning theory, and I came up with this new hour-long structure um, that I'm really excited to try today. My hope is that whether or not you need continuing education units, that you will find this podcast to be a valuable learning experience. Now, obviously you are listening to this podcast on a free podcast platform, but to gain continuing education credit, you will need to be a member of the OT Potential Club, which is our OT evidence-based practice platform. I'll give you more details at the end of this episode on how you can sign in or sign up at otpotential.com to take a test and generate a certificate. So with all that in mind, I want to explicitly state our two learning objectives for this podcast so you can be thinking about them as you're listening to our content today. Our first goal is that you will be able to identify the core skills of self-management in post-stroke rehab. And the second is that you will be able to summarize specific ways to meet the psychosocial and physical needs of the patient through the lens of self-management. To meet these two objectives, I am going to walk you through a systematic review on the self-management of stroke. And then I'm going to bring on my dear friend, Lauren Sheehan, who also happens to have a lot of expertise in this area. And her and I are going to discuss how this research applies to your practice. So let's begin with our breakdown of the article. The article that we are looking at today is called Self-Management Support Interventions for Stroke Survivors a systematic meta-review. This article comes to us from the journal PLUS One. The PLUS PLOS stands for the Public Library of Science. This article was published in 2015, and it is ranked 82nd on our list of the 100 most influential OT-related articles. So to start with, let's kind of zoom out and look at a big-picture overview of why the concept of self-management is so important to consider for stroke care. Now, there is bad news and good news regarding the care of patients post-stroke. The bad news is that stroke occurrence is on the rise globally. As many as 1 in 20 adults will suffer a cerebral vascular infarction, which is a CVA. The good news is that medical advances are leading to much higher survival rates. However, it is estimated that about one in three stroke survivors suffers a permanent disability, which not only dramatically disrupts their lives, but also places a burden on our healthcare systems. One possible approach to helping this growing number of stroke survivors is self-management. The concept of self-management has been explored regarding long-term conditions like asthma and diabetes. However, it has only just begun to garner considerable interest from a policy and research perspective as it relates to stroke. Now self-management seems like a big topic, but what does it actually include? Self-management simply refers to undertaking necessary tasks to live with a chronic condition. These tasks include medical management, role management, and emotional management. Um, And these three tasks we'll kind of talk about throughout this podcast. There are five core skills that enable self-management that were identified in this article. And they are one, problem solving, two, decision making, three, appropriate resource utilization, Four, forming a partnership with a healthcare provider, and five, taking necessary action. And finally, self-efficacy is commonly viewed as a quality that helps bridge the gap between patients learning self-management skills and actually putting them into practice. So what did the authors of this particular study hope to contribute to the research on stroke and self-management? Uh, For those of you who are interested in advocacy, this article is for you. The article was commissioned to help inform both clinicians and healthcare systems that are seeking to promote self-management for stroke survivors. The article is part of a larger review into self-management, which was undertaken by the UK's Health Services and Delivery Research Program. Next, I want to talk briefly about how this research was conducted. This research was a systematic meta-review, meaning that it was basically a systematic review of other systematic reviews. As you might imagine, this type of research sits at the very top of our evidence pyramid. Thirteen reviews were ultimately chosen for inclusion in this meta-review. The included reviews studied 101 individual randomized controlled trials. So we're really gathering quite a bit of research uh, for this particular paper. So let's talk about what kinds of systematic reviews were included um, in this research. All reviews contain self-management support for stroke survivors. The authors searched for supports such as problem-solving, goal-setting, supports for adaptive equipment, remediation training, liaison with other services, and training in ADLs. Seven reviews explored interventions that were based on rehab therapy, and four of those were actually exclusive to OT, um, and the other three included a combination of rehab services. And then six reviews looked at other various self-management support interventions that included referral to stroke liaison workers, informational provision, self-efficacy enhancement, patient-held records, and caregiver problem-solving. Next, I want to talk about what kind of assessments they used as outcome measures. Um, Because there were 101 studies included in this meta-review, there was a lot of assessments involved. I'm going to take the time to list several of them because they were so relevant to OT. And if you are a member of the OT Potential Club, on our written review, you'll be able to click on these assessments and pull them up in our OT assessment search, where we'll have basic information about each assessment if you want to dive a little deeper into one of these So the assessments that they found were the Barthel Index of Activities for Daily Living, the French Activities Index, the Nottingham Extended Activities of Daily Living Scale, the Lawton Independent Activities of Daily Living Scale, the Self-Efficacy Scale, the Personal Adjustment and Role Skills, the Nottingham Leisure Questionnaire, the London Handicap Scale, the Dartmouth Co-op Chart, the Nottingham Health Profile, the Sickness Index Profile, the Hospital Anxiety and Depression Scale, the Beck Depression Inventory, the General Health Questionnaire, and the Miller Health Behavioral Style Scale. So what were the results of pooling all of this information together? Because there was such variation uh, between the different studies, the authors decided to do a narrative overview of their findings. And just given the wide range of studies that the research looked at, the results were, of course, pretty nuanced. Um, So I encourage you to read this article in your entirety if this is a topic that's really interesting to you. But overall, when it came to rehab therapy with a self-management component, the results were promising. In fact, the researchers even broke the results down into a handy checklist, which included the following. They said that high-quality, strong evidence suggests that therapy rehabilitation delivered in the early phase of stroke has a positive effect on activities of daily living and extended ADLs, and that there were reasonable quality reviews that provide some evidence that therapy rehab delivered later in stroke recovery has a beneficial effect on extended ADLs and showed a reduction in poor outcomes such as dependence and death. The researchers also highlighted interventions that seemed just kind of unlikely to work. Um, There was high-quality, strong evidence that suggested that therapy rehabilitation has no impact on a patient's mood, that basically we shouldn't expect our therapy to be a mood-boosting outcome. Secondly, there were some evidence from high-quality reviews suggesting that therapy rehabilitation delivered later in stroke recovery has no impact on ADLs or quality of life. So what did the authors conclude and discuss from this research? The authors concluded that even though the term self-management is rarely used in stroke research, therapy rehabilitation is already successfully delivering elements of self-management to help survivors and their caregivers with improved outcomes. The authors, who represented backgrounds in primary care, public health, and health psychology, really honed in on how OT specifically aligns with the foundations of self-management. They lifted up our focus on forming a strong patient-provider partnership, which, if you remember, is self-management core skill number four, and they also highlighted how promoting self-efficacy in our patients is one of occupational therapy's stated goals. And finally, they ended the whole review by emphasizing that self-management requires a whole systems approach in which a healthcare system promotes collaborative relationships between patients and health professionals. So what were my takeaways from this research for OT practitioners? Um, I want to emphasize that these are my personal takeaways and they were not stated explicitly by the researchers. I had two primary takeaways. My first was that We as OT professionals are already leaders in promoting self-management, and this article really gives us clues as to how we can expand on and own that role. Whether we knew it or not, reading this article really makes it clear that OT is a leader in self-management for stroke, which means that we are uniquely qualified to be leaders in the future of stroke care. When it comes to the different self management tasks, we are clearly very good at helping patients think about role management. But this article really pushed me to think about how we could more explicitly tackle medical management and emotional management, as well as the five core skills of self management. My second takeaway was this Perhaps there is a simple shift in our language that we could be using that could help us resonate more with our team and with our clients. It was just truly a treat to read how these researchers from outside of our profession describe the benefits of occupational therapy. In fact, it just got me wondering if we within the OT community could learn something from how they explained our profession. The article made me wonder if simply using the term self-management more to describe our OT work might help us resonate with our patients and our healthcare team. After all, self-management is a concept that to me is intuitive and easy to understand um, when so much of our medical jargon leaves our patients and our coworkers confused. And I'm really excited to talk about the use of this language with Lauren in the next part of our podcast. But that wraps up our breakdown of the article. There is just obviously a lot to unpack in this research, which is why I'm so excited to be bringing Lauren on to talk about it. I met Lauren maybe four years ago, and since then, she has been my go-to contact for any questions related to stroke or related to rehab technology. And I was thrilled when about six months ago, she joined the OT Potential team as a consultant. So without further ado, I will connect her to our Zoom call and I'll let her fill you in on her background. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. It's great to have you this morning. Great to be here. Great to see you as always. Yes. I want to point out to our listeners too that it is 8.30 a.m. here in Nebraska, which means it's 6 30 a.m. where you are. Uh, and that just makes me remember how important you are that I have to talk to you at 6 30 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is a busy, important person. <laughs> <laughs> and I
1: wouldn't miss it for anything. Um, so it just happens to work that we're in different time
0: zones. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I've just been thinking about this topic a lot over the past couple of days. And we were just talking before we got on to about how self management is so much bigger than just stroke that we're seeing it in our pediatric research and we're seeing it across chronic conditions it's just it feels like honestly one of the most important topics we could be covering today
1: it is and it's so ot yet the language specifically the language of self management and you saw that in the article review you know the the language wasn't necessarily there, but the topic was self management, and it yeah. it just is what we do anyway. And so to start talking about it in a way that um, that language can bridge diagnostic groups and um, different age groups, I think it's both the time is right for self management and for OT to take ownership.
0: Yeah, yeah. And this is my favorite kind of topic where it's like we're already doing this anyway. We just need to tweak exactly. it a little bit. It's not exactly. an overhaul for therapists. I was wondering if we could start just with a little bit of information on your background um, and how you have expertise in this area and um, yeah, just a little bit about your career so far. Sure. So
1: I have been an OT um, for over a decade now. It's hard to believe. I graduated from Creighton University and- Is that in Nebraska? Nebraska. It is in Nebraska, <laughs> in Omaha. And um, I started my career in an outpatient day program, um, really focused on community integration and uh, caring for individuals with stroke, spinal cord injury, brain injury. Um, so my clinical background has always been in neuro. And in that setting where we were really working on moving patients from you know kind of the walls of the clinic into the community, these ideas of of self-efficacy and self-management were super important, right? So I spent some time in that day program as an OT and then transitioned to a traditional outpatient setting where I spent some time, um, again, with the neuro population, uh, but also branched into driving, rehab, also self-management is so important there, uh, and a wheelchair seating and positioning for a time. And um, throughout my career, stroke has really been a a love of mine and a focus. Um, I've just been fascinated by the recovery process, um, both the physical recovery, the emotional components that come with um, having a stroke and and going through that recovery and rehab process. Um, I spent a little bit of time in administration and management, kind of got a sense of the business side of healthcare. And then for the last Uh, three plus years, I've been actually in research and technology development. So working on industry or, you know, on the business side to develop technologies for specifically the stroke population. So um, while I'm not in what would be considered traditional clinical practice, I see patients in research and really have an opportunity to talk with them about how technology fits into their life, but also what was missing. Because as we're trying to fill a need that they have you know, with different um, stroke-related technologies, one of the conversations is what was missing in your rehab journey. And so I get to hear a lot of people's stories about what the focus was in their OT trajectory or in their rehab trajectory and what they felt like they would have wanted or were missing to really Support their best recovery. So, I I feel like I'm, you know, a qualitative researcher in some ways, just trying to understand more about um, the stroke recovery process and and the lived experience of that, um, and also research related to uh, developing some really neat tools to try and help people live their best
0: lives after stroke. You've had such a varied career, but it almost feels like it's all connected to this article in some ways, like, because when you're thinking about self-management, you're thinking about what are the shifting business models that will support that technology is going to play a huge role. And then just like the clinical side. And I love that you've been able to see all of those over the course of your career.
1: Yeah. And I just really have a heart for stroke. Um, I, I just think it's a time that OT gets to intersect with people that is so tender and Mm-hmm. You know, these folks, many times strokes are not planned for, um, and they, as the article talks about are huge disruptors to life. And so, um, being to, being able to be that guide and, you know, the article really talks about, uh, sort of this model of coaching, being able to be that coach, um, this population of individuals recovering from stroke need coaching more than anything.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When I was working, I was in a small town and for a little bit at a trauma hospital. So I saw stroke, but not regularly. So I always wished that I had more expertise in that specific area. But those patients really stick in my mind as going through, yeah, just an emotional process. And I would see them later in the, in the process when they were trying to get reoriented to their home. And I think it was sinking in how much had changed. I know that you were able to listen to the breakdown of the article, and we've both read the article multiple times. Was there anything that you wanted to highlight or that stood out to you uh, that I missed that I didn't say in my overview?
1: No, I think there were just a couple of things that I wanted to both reiterate and then expand on a little bit. So, The timing of this was really interesting because like you said, you know, these patients who have had strokes often stick in your mind. I'm still in touch with many of my patients from the past. And I heard from one of them not too long ago, and it really made me understand the connection of the impact that we have and how so much of that is really related to self-management, we're just not calling it that. Um, This patient reached out and, his reflection was that he he felt like the thing that really set our time together apart. So the work that I did with him in OT, which was in large part centered around um, getting him back to work. And he mentioned that it wasn't that uh, we were working on what to do, but how to do it. And that has really stuck with him. And I think that that just reiterating or reframing that that's really kind of the nuts and bolts of self-management not necessarily showing someone or working with them through an exact maybe dressing example or specific task but helping them see the challenges that they might encounter and really working through um, how to manage those challenges in the future and you know, self-efficacy is something that was talked about in the article as well, and I think that's a big piece. Not only helping them see those challenges, but helping them know that they can manage them. They have the, the wherewithal to do that and having some success around um, those experiences. So I think self-management, if we're talking about it, you know, colleague to colleague or out in the world, is really about teaching patients how to do something so that they can keep doing it for themselves. Um, and it's away from just the intervention focused what's in front of you, but what's to come and how how might this patient and their families kind of navigate those things down the road? Um, and the self-efficacy or the, the self-confidence through those experiences to be able to tackle what's to come. Um, because as you said, you know, roles change stroke changes a lot of things and, and sometimes patients don't see it until they have to encounter some of those things. And so really the article breaks down self-management in terms of, um, how, you know, looking forward, how have some of these roles changed and how might I, um, what does that look like for me and how might I navigate my new life
0: Mm -hmm. in
1: these changing roles? Um, so not what to do, but how super important.
0: Yeah, and that really segues into what my first big question was, was just ways that you see us already doing self-management. What are we already doing in the clinic that aligns with this? And as you were were talking, I was just looking at those five core skills that were mentioned uh, that really play into what you're saying, that problem solving and decision-making and having a partnership with the patient. Um, When I read those, that just really resonated with what we what we do, but I had never thought of our services as those five core skills as explicitly as the article stated. Yeah.
1: And let's just review those for a second. Cause I think they are so OT. That is really the core of, of the self-management that we're already doing Uh, But I think taking it one step further and linking it to that how is not only in the framework of this intervention that I might be doing in clinic with someone, but really trying to both reflect and project Mm -hmm. how how that experience and how any of those missing pieces or challenges that a patient is encountering how um, that might be you know that skill might be important in the future. I think. Sometimes as OTs, we get stuck in kind of the box of the clinic, and we don't think as much about this patient leaving the walls of the clinic and going back out into the world, and so really trying to translate some of these skills. Um, So just for the the listeners, um, again, those skills related to self-management are problem-solving, decision-making, Appropriate resource utilization, which I think is a really interesting one that we don't necessarily specifically talk about with our patients. Um, forming a partnership with a healthcare provider, um, which we do so well as OTs, and taking ne- necessary action. So, all really, you know, skills that we uh, are already encountering and, and working through with our patients, um, but maybe just reframing them a little bit under this lens of self management.
0: Yeah, and to reiterate the three big areas that they're looking at, it was that medical management, role management, and emotional management. And I think historically we've thought of ourselves in the role management, but I think anyone who's practicing can probably think back to when there were opportunities to help with that emotional management or that medical management side of things, which kind of segues into, I was wondering what you thought were just the biggest barriers currently for OTs to more explicitly tackling these self-management problems. Because yeah, we see these issues in the clinic, but sometimes I know I've historically thought that's outside my scope of practice. And there are things I could have helped with that I didn't.
1: Yeah, I think coming back to this idea of what our interventions look like, um, reflection should be a part of intervention. And I feel like as OTs, at least when I was in clinic, I sometimes felt like I needed to be really task oriented. Like if I wasn't doing something with the client, then it wasn't billable. But the doing is great and is important. And often that So for example, if we're thinking about um, medical management, uh, thinking through with a patient all of the components of their own healthcare that they may need to manage or that they may want to take some additional ownership of um, when they feel ready and and when they've left the hospital around on the outpatient side, talking through with them what those opportunities are and planning those planning and reflection types of interventions, even though it's not like task-based, are still wrapping around those tasks and required, I think, in order to do the task itself. But I think sometimes as OTs, we feel like unless we're doing kind of this specific, and I don't wanna call it like busy work, but like unless we have kind of our hands dirty doing a task, um, we don't often see that there's opportunities there to bill for those activities. Um, So the planning, the reflection, uh, sort of the either side of the task um, to make the task really as poignant as possible, um, I think we could play up. And I, I think sometimes were prohibited by, you know, well how does that fit into a CPT code? Where does that go? Yeah. Um, how do I account for that? So I think that can be a bit of a
0: challenge. And we've talked about this before, but that definitely would have been my biggest barrier was just knowing how to document something cuz I know how to document those tasks that you're talking about and I'm really efficient at that. Yeah. Um but I feel like I wasn't practiced at documenting medication management or medical management things, or emotional management. Uh, maybe I would like throw that in the subjective portion, but I never thought of it as part of my intervention and wanted to have known how to document it. Even though I saw those needs and wanted to meet them, I honestly maybe didn't think of it as my role. Sure, and I think that the language that we use in
1: documentation doesn 't necessarily lend itself perfectly to these self management tasks and so or t- self management opportunities i won 't even call them tasks they really are kind of again that wrap around they 're the preparatory they 're the um, explanatory they 're the reflective mm-hmm. um, they are the task itself, but in order to really get the most out of uh, the patient 's understanding of their own self efficacy where did they see holes in their process? Um, Where do they anticipate challenges? You know, those reflective components aren't a min, mod, max assist, you know, so they don't match necessarily our current
0: language or the language that we're most comfortable using as OTs in many Mm -hmm. cases. Yeah. But even reading this article, I feel like this gives me new language that I could use in documentation, like, or just a way to structure it, like working on uh, the a core self-management skill of problem solving. Like that, yeah. I can see that fitting in a note. And I also want our listeners to know that you and I have actually talked about this issue related to documentation. You're helping us come up with an example of what are two treatment notes that would highlight like a self-management based intervention.
1: Yeah. And it is nuanced, you know, so I think we just flipping our language a little bit from how are we assisting to how are we coaching or guiding is not necessarily something we already have in our lexicon. But um, I think that there's definitely a way and some of the assessments that are noted in the article that you review again with listeners are a really great way to look at some of the pieces of self-management in a little bit more of uh, a structured way. There are some really great self-efficacy assessments, um, some mood assessments, and and so using those components of assessment to see where a patient is starting from uh, as a, a point of kind of jumping off into this world of Self management more explicitly, I think, is a nice way to use even some of the language from those assessments
0: as well. Yeah. Yeah. I really think of it as like we do have the skill set to assess these areas and to work with our patients and to document it, but it just may not be our most practiced (laughs) skill set. Absolutely. The other big barrier that I thought of, which you kind of mentioned already, was. For many reasons, we've been trained to think so much like within our session and just the way insurance reimburses is we're really like we want to show the progress that's happening in our session and what we're doing in our session and probably from the psychology of the patient too, like they want to come to therapy and see progress. But this research and a, I feel like a lot of the research that we look at really pushes thinking about like a five-year time window for our patients. What can we be doing today to help prevent a future stroke? What skills can we be setting them up with so they can be independent for a long time, not just like check off my goal in the practice session? So yeah, I just think of that as a barrier kind of, I don't know if it's mostly how we're billing right now or our mindset or just the psychology of the session, but, or just human psychology, like humans aren't great at thinking long-term. We're very like short-term focused. Uh, And and under stress, I think we get more myopic, right? So when
1: a therapist is running around and has 10 patients that day that they're trying to organize interventions for, really be thoughtful about kind of what's coming next in their care plan. Sometimes I just think, the nature of the work doesn't allow yes. us to see as far out in front of our feet as we would hope to, and I think particularly in the outpatient space, which is where I've spent most of my career, there are such beautiful opportunities to to do that, um, but it takes a little bit of a different lens and a little bit of a different focus to say, you know what roles maybe are you encountering challenge with, or what are all of the, of the roles?" Um, that you, you know, espouse or that you're connected to? And how have those roles changed? And then kind of a step, step further, how do you anticipate those roles changing? Outpatient's a perfect practice grounds for looking at a component of self-management like problem-solving or decision-making, you know, constructing um, some, something, an intervention within the session That sort of gets some practice behind an area that a patient's struggling with and then sending them out into the world with like real life homework to encounter that task, um, to have the opportunity to do some self-reflection and then to bring that back to the session to talk about how it went. And I think we don't often use a patient's kind of life outside of therapy Mm -hmm. to, to, um, be that practice grounds. And as a coach, you know, if we kind of put our coaching hat on rather than our, you know, therapist within the session, a coach would say, you know, go try that out. Let me see, you know, how you do and get um, an opportunity to kind of practice and then bring that back and we'll reflect together. That's the approach that self-management needs in order to truly um, be successful and to allow patients to have the support to, fail potentially or to see things that you know they weren't expecting and to bring that back back for more problem solving uh, and to reorient that with their their occupational therapist
0: with these barriers i mean i just see in the next like decade that we'll be seeing a new model for stroke rehab starting to emerge that i think occupational therapy will really lend itself to but could be pretty different from what we're doing now like I just think of the patients I saw where we were so like, in this four-week chunk, we'll do these things. When I'm looking at this research and being like, oh, I should have been seeing patients for a year and checking in once every two weeks. And those sessions should have been focused on what's going well at their home and what we can problem solve through there. I don't know from where you're sitting, where you're, I feel like you're on like more of the innovative front where do you think we're going in stroke rehab? I guess both from that business model, but then also the technology component of it is a, those are kind of two big complementing but kind of different questions. Yeah. I think,
1: you know, one piece of stroke recovery is that it's lifelong, right? Mm -hmm. These are patients that often have disabilities and challenges that persist after they're done with therapy. And there are often people that do come back for those kind of check-ins and and tweaks. I think, um, to your point about frequency, we could serve our patients maybe in a more uh, cohesive or complementary way if we Use the coaching model and were able to see them for a longer period of time. The challenge, of course, and, you know, I think back to my time in the day program where we saw patients intensively five days a week, BID, um, mm. that really doesn't exist anymore because of insurance limitations. And yeah. so as we see more managed care, as we see fewer visits, um, more stringent management of those visits. We both have to tune into the documentation that's needed to really make the case for why components of care like self-management are important. And we have to get a little creative with how we serve these patients long-term because it is a long-term scenario. So, I think one thing that has been really interesting in the, you know, in the marketplace over the last number of months is telehealth. Telehealth has sort of forced us to look at a coaching model in a little bit different way. Mm -hmm. When I can't have my hands on you as a therapist, kind of what am I left with? And it's really the coaching. You know, there are still scenarios where I can have you, you know, do certain components of maybe your upper extremity um, program and things like that. Of course, it's not quite the same if I can't get my hands on you, but the coaching remains even using that type of intervention and kind of this idea of um, Mm check-ins. You know, how are you doing? Go practice that. Come back. The other piece that you mentioned in terms of technology, you know, the companies that I've worked for are really trying to tackle how to get technology in the hands of patients that would allow them to sort of manage their own recovery over time and have access to a device that allows them long-term intensive stroke recovery activity, particularly for the upper extremity, which again is not something we fix in four weeks. So there are, I think... Both things that are changing in the market, like insurance, that are sort of forcing us in this direction of self management. Telehealth lends itself interestingly to the coaching model, and then technology that allows patients to continue their rehab outside the clinic um, all support kind of this different model or approach to therapy.
0: Yeah, and all those things make me just be like, of course, this is the future of therapy because it's efficient. It's more efficient than that the day program that you were in, but it also works. And we're seeing that again, just across the research, not just with stroke, like there's something really powerful about this coaching model. And so when you find something that's efficient and it works, I hope that's the future of stroke rehab. And I really wanted to highlight to something that you kind of touched on a couple of times when we are working with stroke patients. We're working with stroke survivors and that this is such a long-term, yeah, something that will impact their life for a long time. Um, And I think in the past, I've treated a stroke patient the same way I would a rotator cuff, but it should be a totally different model of care. Um, We're looking at such a longer time horizon. And after having that one stroke, then these patients are at risk of so many other things. And I don't think historically we've done a good job with prevention, basically. As soon as you have a stroke, you almost want to go into prevention mode again with these patients to make sure that the second one doesn't happen.
1: You really do. And I think oftentimes patients don't necessarily know that they're at greater risk. You know, it's kind of amazing to me sometimes the conversations that When patients would get to me that they hadn't had or hadn't heard. And I think that we do have a great opportunity to work with patients on their health literacy, uh, which is, again, that component of self-management that we can't sort of gloss over. How do you manage some of the, the challenges or the health issues that caused you potentially to have the stroke in the first place? Um, are those under control? Do you need additional resources? You know, what do you do if you see that your blood pressure is, is high consistently? How do you plan your meals in a different way to um, manage some of your salt intake to keep your blood pressure regulated? So. I think we get a little bit nervous about moving into that realm, but there are tons of resources out there. Even if we don't know some of these things intimately ourselves, like a diet that would lend itself to heart health, for example, all of those resources exist. We're just connecting the patient to them to really hit on that how um, while we're doing the what and encourage and support their long-term recovery? Um, how do you make some of these decisions to to support your health? And what should you be looking for? You know, what are red flags? How to advocate for yourself? When to ask for help, um, who to go to? I mean there often these patients are dealing with a large team of a a bunch of different types of professionals and who do I go to for what? I mean, even a session kind of sifting through who's on your team and what are they responsible for? And, you know, there were sessions that I would work with patients on. I have an upcoming doctor's appointment and I have some questions. Okay, let's you know, sift through what your questions are. Let's practice your handwriting, which might be a fine motor task that we're working on. And let's write down those questions for your physician so that you can be empowered to take control of some of your healthcare and and know that you're in the driver's seat. So there's just so much that we can do in that realm.
0: Yeah. And that just reminds me that the article talked about how self-management has to be a team approach because when you're truly looking at self-management, you're looking at so many different areas of care. And as OTs, we know who the speech therapist is and the nutritionist is, and we know what their roles are and we can help the patient's get to the right person at the right time. I think sometimes we don't realize how broad our knowledge is of like our local healthcare system and for our patients, that's all new.
1: Right. And I think sometimes we make assumptions about what they do know. Uh, And there's research that's showing us that people leave the hospital with very low health health literacy after stroke. And,
0: you know, which makes sense because it's so disjointed and it's yeah, so disjointed, I can but see to,
1: s- to see how many people they've interacted with, though, you know, during the course of their stroke inpatient time and maybe even some outpatient visits and to still not really understand what it is that happened to them or how to prevent it in the future. Um, I think we're missing we're missing the mark somewhere uh, yeah. so that that health literacy is a really big deal. And, and of course, ties in really nicely with uh, medical management, self management.
0: Yeah. yeah, the one other piece I was thinking about, or relaying this all back to, like if we had a longer duration with these patients with less frequency, I think as you're farther out from the stroke, then would be a good time to start talking about future strokes. Like I was trying to think, like, I usually saw patients within four weeks after having a stroke. And it never felt right to be like, have you thought about your next stroke (laughs) or like having a next stroke? Like it always felt too soon and too emotional. But if we could see them six months to a year out from that stroke, that would just seems like a really natural time to be like thinking about the future of medical management. Once they're back in their routine, what are those gaps that they're missing? Yeah. So all of that, I feel like we're just missing some of... This just because of how our therapy is currently set up,
1: I definitely think that's a part of it. And patients, when they're in that stage of early recovery, are likely, or at least in some cases, not ready to take that on again. So, a loved one is helping manage medications, helping manage appointments, you know, helping to get a a person where they need to be to take some of the burden off. But I think that's how something like role management and medical management fits so nicely together, it's all intertwined. At some point, that role of wanting to take on the responsibility and feeling ready to um, do the problem solving and decision making of some of those medical management, you know, activities, we can then kind of find that right time, that just right, you know, fit for a patient when they are ready to start transitioning them back to some of those roles.
0: Yep. And that emotional management probably plays into those things too. Either a patient's doing too much too soon or not feeling confident enough in their skills and lots of emotional management there for the patient and their caregiver at those times too.
1: Yeah. And just a check-in to understand where they are with those emotional components of recovery, I think is, is so important and we're likely already doing it as OTs, but I think really having a focus on, and it's a big time life changing event and things wax and wane. And sometimes you feel like you've got it together and sometimes you, you feel like you don't. And so just having the support to talk through that and understand where our patients are emotionally so important.
0: We've gotten pretty big picture thinking about what should stroke rehab look like. Um, And for our last 10 to 15 minutes, I wanted to bring it back to really actionable for today for a therapist. I'm assuming that most people today aren't going to overhaul their business model for stroke care. So my question for us was, after reading this article, what is one thing Uh, or one or two things that you could do differently as you walk into a patient's room and you're seeing a stroke patient, how would you tweak or modify your care based on reading this research? Lauren and I talked about this question and we both kind of prepped answers to it. So I'll let, Lauren, do you want to go first? Sure, sure. Okay.
1: Yeah, I think that our language is so important. So I think a really simple way that we can use this lens of self-management and kind of put on our our coaching hats as therapists is just to reframe when we walk into a room and we're introducing ourselves and our care to a patient to talk about being a partner with them in their care, um, to talk about some of the things that we'll be working on so that there is that heads up that you know role management is sort of at the center of what it is that we'll do but that we're also going to talk about future medical management and and talk about the emotional components of recovery as well so i think the language of a coach or partner i think that can go a long way in just reframing what we expect of the patient you know we i think at least in my early career i did a lot of doing for instead of doing with. And I think we're most powerful, again, back to that how, when we show patients how, because that's a sustainable piece of their recovery rather than just the what. Um, Mm -hmm. And so being a partner to walk with them um, and expect them to show up for their own recovery I, I think just those couple of tweaks and they're so subtle in our language and yeah. nuanced in how we approach a patient, but I think that those pieces can help really kick up the responsibility on the part of the patient to to meet us um,
0: and to really be a partner in their mm-hmm. care. Any change requires the patient to play such an active role. It's thinking long-term to being like, I don't want to be doing stuff for my patient because. I'm from day one. I'm working towards this end of self-management, where I want them to be doing it for themselves. What was yours? Mine? What I was going to say—that hey, segues well. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what I wanted to say was, I actually um, wrote a little intro script that I could use as I walked into a patient's room. When I was working, I was always like tweaking my intro, and obviously, I'm usually tweaking it based on my circumstance and what kind of patient I'm seeing at that time. So I was thinking of this intro as being, I'm working at our critical care access hospital, which means that the patient probably went to a trauma hospital for their stroke. And now they're coming back to our small town to critical access where in that hospital, they can flip the kind of care to, it's like a sniff care in a hospital, which is- I a, love critical access. Yes, yeah. I worked and managed in a critical access hospital yes. too. Yeah. yeah, yep. So I'm thinking that I'm seeing a patient a couple of weeks out from their stroke and I have a pretty solid idea that they're uh, going to go home eventually. So this is a kind of how I would introduce myself going in to see this patient. And Lauren, I was wondering if you would- Play my patient that we could actually sure, role play yeah, through. Absolutely. This? Okay. Hear,
1: hear some of the language. I think that's great.
0: Yep. Okay. Don't be too mean to me though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm walking in and I would be like, Hi, Lauren. I'm Sarah and I am your occupational therapist. I'm here because your doctor recommended occupational therapy for you. Have you ever heard of occupational therapy? Uh, I don't need a new job if that's what you uh, are here to do. (laughs) Yes, that is a very um, uh, confusing part of our name because it reminds people of jobs. But when we think of occupation, we're really just thinking about uh, what you do in your day to day. And you and I are going to be thinking about how we can get you back to being in your home and doing the things that you need to be doing day to day. Even though you just arrived in the hospital, our team is here to just focus on getting you home safely. And that means that we're considering support that you and your family might need to manage your condition. As our team, we're looking that you can manage your medical needs, the emotional ups and downs of your recovery, And that you and your family have a plan for taking care of your daily needs. Now, on our team, you've been meeting lots of team members here at the hospital. And lots of those team members are focused on that medical management. Um, And we also have team members who will help you with the ups and downs of recovery. But my focus is really going to be that part that we just mentioned of getting you to your home and making sure that you and your family can take care of everything that you need to. Just the basics of what you were doing before uh, meals, dressing, getting around the community. We really want to make sure that you can do those safely and that we have a good plan for when you go home. That was a lot. Do you have any questions before we dive in? I don't think so. Are you going to help me
1: get back to my bridge club? That's that's really what I want to do. That's what I, I love it. I go every week and I just want to get back there. They're worried about me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What was important to you before you were doing, that's what we want to work on. And we'll be thinking about elements of that related to how will you get to bridge club? We'll be looking at your communication. Has anything changed? Um, and maybe we'll practice some things, With some cards. I'm a pitch player myself, but maybe Uh, you and I could look at some bridge things. Okay. Yeah. Was that okay? I feel like I talked. That's something that I would be tweaking. I feel like I talked quite a bit. But yeah, that just generally how I would introduce the team concept, the areas that we're working on, and right away, start starting to connect our sessions to getting home.
1: Yeah. And I love the example. I think, you know, if a patient doesn't offer an example, an example of something that they a role that they want to resume is a really great way to break down yeah. you know, some of the pieces that were even called out in the article. Like you said, you know, okay, we're going to make sure that we have a plan for getting you there. Um, yeah. We're going to make sure that you can communicate when you're there. And those components, I think, incorporate also the, the self-management elements that yeah. the article talked about. And I love the breakdown of the emotional... The um, medical and the role, because that really is encompassing in large part of what the team approach is. And OT takes on a piece of all of those. Yeah. It's a really nice way to break down kind of what to anticipate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely, with my patients, never brought up emotional management as something that our team could help them with. And as I'm thinking back to the stroke patients. That I saw, I think that would have been appreciated to bring that up uh, both from the patient and from a caregiver perspective.
1: but it's the acknowledgement that there's something you know going on here that there's something you're you're encountering that is likely shaking your foundation a bit, and you know with emotional ability, some people just have a different command of their emotions in their stroke recovery. And so I think Mm -hmm. just the acknowledgement goes such a long way. It's not like we're glossing it over. We, we see you, you know, we hear that you are having, um, some struggles. Can I offer one, um, one idea related to the emotional management? Yeah. So, uh, I'm a part of Uh, community, self-development community. And one of the things that we do that has just really trickled its way into my life, I've done it with my students. I think that um, it's really appropriate for patients as well as a two-word check-in related to emotions. So just um, two words, you know, maybe it's how you would start a session with a patient. I just want, you know, I want to give us time to kind of have a moment for you to to sit in your body to reflect and and see what's up for you and give me two words um, that describe where you're at which i think is so poignant because it doesn't take them down kind of this long trajectory take over the session Um, potentially if that's not what you're after in that session, but it allows the space and acknowledgement of those emotions and you get to see what's coming up. So, you know, I might say today I'm, um, I'm tired and I'm lonely. And so, you know, just really that kind of check-in to see what's up for people, a way to work it into your session, um a way to kind of keep track of what's happening for people, and also an acknowledgement that where whatever is up for them is okay. Yeah, um, I think is a really nice and kind of simple way to incorporate that emotional management into our sessions.
0: Yeah, that's really powerful. I had never heard of that before, and it almost feels like checking in on pain. But my first thought was, I'm like, that's even more important than like for stroke patients to be checking in on those emotions. Um, Yeah. But also keeps it contained and really manageable too. And you can go as deep into their answers as you wanted.
1: Yeah. And I think what's interesting about that, you know, we often as humans don't have the emotional language that we think we have. So when we start to check in and actually have to name the emotions that we're feeling, there are a lot of, there are a lot of actually really great resources. If a patient, you know, say you use this, this element of emotional management and the patient's just not finding words or language is a challenge, right? So you've got kind of a couple things going on. There are some really nice um, like feelings, words, resources, where someone can maybe have, you know, kind of a cheat sheet in front of them to have some language to put to their emotions. Um, And particularly if they're having word finding difficulties, that might be another way to supplement some of those emotional management
0: conversations. Yeah, that's awesome and so practical. We're at the end of our time already. I want to, we have like one or two minutes left. I wanted to give you the chance to say the last word I or leave us with our last thought I think just wondering if you could highlight just one more time what for you was the big takeaway from this article so final thoughts Um, I think you know as we
1: try to work in components of self-management looking at the opportunity that we have to be a coach. And I I started um, hearing from patients. I think when I was doing, when I was focusing on the how in clinic rather than the what I would hear from patients that they would hear my voice, which I don't know if is a great thing, like when they were out, you know, trying to do something that we talked about in clinic. So I think trying to really approach um, the opportunity that we have to be a coach and to be, for your work to really be long lasting in the lives of these patients. Uh, We have an opportunity and a responsibility, I think, to look at folks that have experienced strokes and the survivorship. It's long term. So how do we set patients up for really being able to be successful, not just today, in these four weeks, you know, in in these three months that we might be seeing them, but how can we really set them up to be able to have the efficacy, the confidence, and the ability to care for themselves and and be successful long-term. So that's the article really, I think just impresses that really important responsibility and opportunity that we have to be partners in care.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the thing that stood out the most to me from this conversation was just that you brought up at the beginning that you're still in touch with some of these patients. And what a testament to whether we're intending to or not, these therapy sessions are going to have a long-term impact because you're walking with someone through such an important time. And then what a gift for the patients to have someone to walk along with and to have a voice in their head as they're navigating really tough challenges. So thank you for all the work that you've done in stroke. And I know that you're doing a lot of work for our profession and helping us think through to how to help these patients and marry that with technology. And I know you also have a business mind. So thinking about the business models behind that, and I think it's going to be, I'm really hopeful about the future for stroke care. And uh, I'm glad that you're one of our leaders helping us navigate that.
1: Yeah, thank you. I am humbled by, you know, really being able to be a part of people's story. So uh, attacking the the problem of stroke and stroke recovery from a little different angle with technology. But I think, again, trying to put the resources into the hands of the people that need them so that they can really have um, long-term opportunities for yeah. recovery. Uh, is is so important. So thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks. We'll talk again.
0: Okay, that is all that we have for you today. Hopefully you can now recognize the five core skills of self-management. And hopefully you've been able to brainstorm along with us how the concept of self-management could help you meet the psychosocial and physical needs of your patients. If you are interested in earning a certificate for your time today, What you are going to do next is head to otpotential.com where you will either sign in or sign up for the OT Potential Club. The OT Potential Club is our OT evidence-based practice platform. On the platform, we have already reviewed almost 100 articles. So you can now search the evidence on all kinds of different topics and diagnoses. But once you are there, you are going to want to search for the self-management course or click on the button in the top of the screen that says CEU courses. From there, you will be prompted to take a five question test. And if you earn 75% or higher, you will have a certificate sent to your inbox. If you have any questions about this process or feedback on this course, please leave us a review on your podcast platform if that feels right. Or if you have an immediate need, you can chat with us on our website, which again is otpotential.com. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us today for our first hour long episode. I hope that this podcast helps you broaden your knowledge and tweak your practice and stay evidence-based. Take care. And we'll talk to you next month.